Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving out there. It is our Sunday football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg, of course, happening on a Friday. We talked the loss, kind of the lack of preparedness, what it all means for the big picture. Lane Kiffin claiming he will be at Ole Miss next year in the press conference. Basically everything you would want to know about the loss this season, how to put it into context, and what the future might hold for Lane Kiffin in this Ole Miss football program. So buckle up. Thought it was a good conversation. Hopefully, as we record this on a Friday morning, it's not completely obsolete as some news pops off in a couple hours, but uh, whatever. Content is content. So anyway, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you real quickly, the podcast is brought to you by Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. Ray is a licensed real estate agent based in Oxford. Whether you want to buy or sell a home, whether it's a two-bedroom condo or a five-bedroom dream home, Ray can help you with that process and make it seamless. He takes pride in providing individualized service to each and every one of his clients. He's going to provide you options that fit your price range and your need and basically just make the home buying and selling process an enjoyable one with someone you trust. Check him out. Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. All you have to do is give Ray a call, tell him he sent, we sent you, and he will get you hooked up and taken care of. It's 601-624-4824. Give him a call. Again, tell him I sent you. I wouldn't send you to people that I don't trust, and uh, he will get you all set up. Check him out. Ray Stevens, Square Real Estate. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix will an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox, over 60% college football and NFL this year. Absolutely murdering it. As you uh, pick up your uh, kind of, uh, you know, wagering habits through the Thanksgiving week, got feast week for college hoops. They absolutely destroy it on college hoops every year. Their algorithm prints money. Be sure to sign up. Get a picks package that fits your price range. Uh, use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off any purchase. So go online, buy the package now. They'll send you a nice little color-coded spreadsheet by unit. You'll have all the picks, and you'll be better equipped to profit than you were 10 minutes beforehand. Check him out, soundboxsportspicks.com. Again, the promo code RIPPY gets you 20% off. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg for Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights at substack.com. You'll be getting plenty of newsletters from me over the coming weeks and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a deal. Go see Greg, show and prove a subscription, kick off your grilling weekend with that, then go find your own favorites at LB's. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. Check them out, University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg on, well, everything. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg. A happy Thanksgiving to you. It looks like you're home. That looks like you're a uh, Thanksgiving slash Christmas setup. I, whenever you go in the backyard out there, so uh, we're uh, back home, maybe belly full of food. How are you, man? No, I'm doing good. Getting out of the house, so nobody will bother me. Um, a little early morning, uh, Rippy podcast, which I'm not used to. We usually do this at night, so I'm still waking up a little bit uh, with a, a food hangover and a, a shitty football game hangover as well. <laughs> yeah, I've got a Red Bull 40 here in hand. Uh, normally, you know, I always joke about not having notes for this podcast, but I do usually spend about an hour, hour and a half prep to kind of guide it. I, I went to bed at one o'clock in the morning last night. We're recording it early in the morning. This would be very much a fire from the hip type of deal. Um, but man, what a uh, what a week, what a 
like what a plethora of things to discuss. Um, you know, probably pretty far down on the list, the actual football game, right? So we talked on Sunday, um, Twitter gate was Monday, and then the week just kind of played out the way it did. But I guess we will start with the football game to some degree to kind of guide this thing. Ole Miss loses 24-22 to Mississippi State in a game where it felt like Mississippi State was begging Ole Miss to pull away. They were giving them every opportunity to take control of the game. They didn't do it. What did you make of just the game in this entire week that's felt like a month in and of itself in terms of the roller coaster of storylines? I feel like the game played out exactly how the week played out, which was, you know, somewhat of a disaster. (laughs) Um, And that's, you could take that from really any angle. Uh, I mean, we, they did not run the ball. They had no, didn't go over a hundred yards for the first time uh, this season, I believe. 39 carries for 78 yards at two yards a carry flat. Not great, Bob. Yeah. And while it's raining, so, you know, it, it, it was just terrible. Um, defensively they got gashed on that first drive and then to be quite honest except for the final drive of the first half which I think we can talk about in a second like they played pretty well I thought so too Uh, yeah I mean yeah of course they had some explosive plays here and there but that's kind of like what you get with that offense is you have to play three down for the majority of the time and you know I, I don't think they really ran the ball that effectively they had some big plays but they were able to Kind of do that. They got pressure on Rodgers. Um, I don't know if I really give them too much credit because he just loves to run into sacks. But, you know, they got pressure. Uh, I mean, Miles Battle was playing, you know, cover three while or cover two while everyone else was playing cover three. So that was a disaster. Uh, the prevent defense wasn't good. But they 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 were holding them for the – giving the offense the ability to win the football game at any point in time that night. I mean, they really could have just – stomped on the throat in the first quarter or the second quarter or the third quarter. And then by the fourth quarter, uh, they only had like eight total yards. So it, it was just, it was terrible. I mean, the, the game plan was weird. It's raining and we're throwing, you know, lateral passes. Um, we could not block them. Uh, Zach Garnett does an incredible job blitzing and we had no idea how to stop them at all. Um, Dart was running for his life. Receivers were dropping the balls. It, it was just not good at really any phase of the game, except for Jonathan Cruz uh, making three field goals. But guess what? That's never what you want because you're in the red zone three straight times and end up with three straight field goals. It, it's just the same thing we've seen all season offensively came up again today. Um, I don't know if it was pre- preparedness. I mean, my guess is they weren't, uh, but it it was just really kind of what we've seen, and it was not good. Yeah, you described it really well. I do think it went similar to the week where it was just – it looked like a team that wasn't prepared for what it was going to be dealing with um, on the field. You know, you mentioned Mississippi State trying to run the ball. They didn't run it with a ton of success. They had 97 yards. I think the biggest shocker is Mississippi State ran the football 37 times. So that's like 2.6 yards of rush. But they did try. I mean, if you told me State ran it 30-something times in an egg bowl, I'd be pretty surprised under this leech scheme. They've only run it 30 times. They've only run it more than 24 times, I believe, twice this season um, coming into that game. But that kind of speaks to them having a better game plan, does it not? Like, at least they were trying things that they thought would be successful, right? Like, they didn't have a ton of success running the football. I thought it did keep Ole Miss honest. But, like – I just thought like that – I didn't think Leach would run the ball. I thought there was an opportunity to do so on Ole Miss. I didn't think he'd do it, but he was willing to do it. And then Zach Arnett pretty much just sold out on stopping the run. 
and making Ole Miss beat them with passes over the middle of the field, and they couldn't do it. I thought Mississippi State, just from a general sense, had a much better attack from a game plan standpoint than Ole Miss did. And with the Lane Kiffin coach team, I just I don't know if I would have ever figured I'd find myself saying that, particularly against Mike Leach, the system is the system in the Egg Bowl, as good as Zach Barnett is. I knew they'd be prepared to say that guy's really good. But it just seemed like on both sides of the football, uh, Mississippi State was better prepared than Ole Miss was. That's it's undoubtedly true. Um, they came out and ran the football in that first drive and I mean, scored with relative ease. And then they actually got away from it, you know, for the entire second quarter, uh, even when they're like second and two and some fourth downs, like they just, they just stopped running the ball and gave Ole Miss every opportunity. You know, Rogers was like completely flustered, you know, throwing intercep- terrible interceptions, taking bad sacks. Um, and Ole Miss never took advantage of it. And then in the second half, when good teams and, you know, coaching staffs that are focused adjust, they went back to running the football for really the entire second half. I mean, Ole Miss went three and out, three and out, three and out until the fourth quarter. They had eight total yards, I believe, before like their second to last drive. Um, You're right. got- I'm looking at this now. Holy. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Wow. It was, uh, the, the first down play calling was – for the entire night, absolutely terrible. It was swing passes. It was play action, you know, little pick plays. It's like we never just decided, hey, let's do our creative running game with our best player and, like, let's get four yards and get into motion. I mean, they were – they could not have been – there could not have been more than three positive first downs for Ole Miss last night. There could not have been. And in the second half, they didn't – Ole Miss just kind of did their thing while Mississippi State defensively and offensively completely, I mean, not completely changed what they were doing, but they definitely adjusted, whereas Ole Miss just kind of like throughout the entire season playing a team with a pulse, like just kind of, you know, stayed the course and it ended up uh, ending up how it did. It was, this was their second half drive chart. Punt, punt, downs, punt, fumble, and then touchdown at the end. The irony is the final drive, they go 15 plays for 99 yards, but you're exactly right. I mean, they go, they start out the half, three plays, negative one, three and out. Three plays, nine yards, three and out. Five plays, 30 yards, got a first down. Three plays, negative 16 yards, three plays, five yards before that final 99-yard touchdown drop. So let's talk about the play calling a little bit because I didn't understand it either. Ole Miss clearly was not having much success against the run. And when they don't run the football successfully, particularly on first down, it seems to screw up everything they're trying to do. Uh, I think that really manifests itself in the red zone. I mean, I texted in one of our like fantasy football group texts last night. Why does it seem like anytime they're inside the 25, if they have second and eight or second and seven or longer, the drive's just shot. It feels like they're going to kick a field goal. I, I didn't really understand it. One of the things that Kiffin brought up in the post game was he got asked why Casey Kelly wasn't available. Apparently he's got some kind of injury and I think maybe needs surgery. I think Kiffin said that. I can't yeah. remember exactly. Um, it was disclosed that Michael Trigg, I think, is suspended. Um, so the fact that they had no available tight ends, Kiffin did bring that up when he was like, they're, they're, you know, going blitz zero or whatever you want to call it, zero blitzing cell out to stop the run when you are already having trouble blocking the edge and you literally don't have the ability to put a tight end there to do so. Mingo gets shaken up on the ball over the middle and hurts his ribs. So they stop putting him there in that pseudo tight end slot that probably hurt things, but I don't understand if that's not working and they're selling out. Why continue to try to throw the football behind the line of scrimmage? It didn't seem like there was any opportunity or any – they didn't let Dart take a chance, take a shot, take something down the field. I mean, now at a certain point, you just if if you're afraid he's going to make a mistake, don't you just have to let him if nothing else is working? I didn't understand all of the passing in the backfield. I mean, Dart was 30 of 38, but he threw for 230 yards at six yards in attempt. 
Like, I didn't understand that piece of it at all. Why do you think they did that? I, I think it's just trying to find another way to, to pseudo run the ball because they were not, you know, efficient at all between the tackles, you know, throwing those kind of bubble screens, kind of, you know, just sideline routes are just w- another way to run the football. Um, and they couldn't do that either. So it, it was just completely ineffective for the entire night. I mean, players were dropping the balls, as we saw with the controversial call. Um, it, it made no sense to me. My, my biggest frustration from a play calling standpoint, and I texted you during the game. You might have been there, so you couldn't get it. Uh, I was. No service in there. Tough scene. Right. Um, we, as an offensive philosophy, don't try to get the first down on third downs ever. We don't try to get it ever. We are always trying to set up for fourth down. And when you can't run the ball for two yards up, you know, in between the tackles, getting two extra yards to get it to third and two is completely ineffective. I mean, we multiple times just gave up on third down, basically. You know, you're running the ball and you're trying to, you know, surprise them per se. But if you can't run it effectively, which they could in the entire night, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and we saw multiple times where it just completely did not work. It either got stopped and they didn't get enough yardage. So they had to kick a field goal or it got stopped. So you had to go for it on fourth down, which they didn't get a few times. Um, it, it just didn't make any sense the entire night. And then of course, you know, they had that miraculous final drive where dart just kind of you know, dices them up, but still, they still had two fourth downs. Like they just don't, the the flow of this offense for the past like four weeks has been absolutely terrible. Uh, the first down percentages have been terrible. Uh, third down percentages have been terrible. And they earlier in the year and in some of the big games they've been pretty good at third down, but it just feels like these last few weeks where they just try to you know set up the fourth down play. But you know we don't have a tight end, so there's no effectiveness there. And then Dart, you know, does a lot of really good things, but his his ball handling is pretty bad. So a lot of these zone reads look really, really, really like unorthodox. And, you know, like you watch Corral when he used to do, you know, throw out you know, the swing passer and the flats. He, his footwork and his ball handling were so good that it was all so in rhythm. Whereas Dart, one of the things that he has to work on, I think even in the two-point play, he, he just is kind of like just runs the play. There's no there's no pl- real play action. There's no real, you know, you know, kind of like mirroring what you're supposed to be doing and then, you know, showing what you're actually doing. And when you can't do that to like a really effective level, a lot of the things that make, you know, the defense have to you know pay attention to certain things when you're trying to go somewhere else, it doesn't work as well. And, you know, on that last drive, it was third and one and, Dart pulls it and like they weren't even considering like that it he just gave the ball. Like it was just so obvious because he didn't put the ball in the stomach long enough. It's something that I've kind of noticed throughout the season. But like last night was like really something that like came to me. I was like, this guy just does not do very good at this. And I don't know if that's a coaching thing or something he needs to work on. But when you can't do that effectively, your flow and kind of your fakes and your misdirections like really become ineffective. And last night it just bit them in the ass over and over again. Do you think that's that's something I've noticed too, and the, particularly the part you're talking about about not trying to get the first down on third down and just kind of wasting it? Like you saw that work last year 
a decent bit, right? I mean, I, I, the one I always think of is like on the third and like 17 against LSU, Ely busts a huge one. I think he may have even scored a touchdown. Yeah, he did it two or three times against LSU. They, they did it a lot last year. And it worked effectively, but you're right. When they started, like when they were doing it in this game and it wasn't working, they didn't seem to deviate for something else. I think the point about Dart and kind of the ball handling piece of it is interesting because he does do other things well. He doesn't do that well. I think that's pretty plainly obvious. From a football and a schematic standpoint, how much of that is the fact that they have to do it? He has to be better at it. It's just part of the offense, or is it somewhat on the coaching staff to deviate to more, like, and go t- more towards something that he does well? Like, how big of a, I guess, rudimentary part of the offense is that, or is that something they can shy away from because he doesn't do it well? If that makes sense, I'm just curious if they should have tried something different, or he just he is what he is. No, I mean you can't just you know completely change the the offense and what you do to 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 change that because it's, it's a small part of you know just simple fundamentals of football it, it's not some people are incredibly good at it I mean if you watch Lamar Jackson I mean he's the best at it yeah because you know, they run that you know semi it's not like a wishbone offense they run that just very run heavy uh pistol set where like he's able to fake the ball put it in the stomach play action he hides the ball it's just certain things where it's like you know you have to watch everything and Lamar is making you watch something you're not supposed to. And, you know, he's not hes not a professional quarterback. He's not going to be a pro at it. But especially if you're a team that uses a lot of, you know, misdirection pulls and a lot of, uh, you know, run pass option plays, whenever the quarterback just, like, doesn't go through the entire fake well, it doesn't, it doesn't really benefit you as much. And it, it's a small thing. It's a small thing that I noticed. It's not the reason they lost the football game. But even on the fourth down, you know, weird play where they were going to throw a pop pass to Begeese, it's like you never once thought that he was going to hand the ball off. I mean, right. he, the ball is in a dark stomach, like before Jug can even gets to him. Like it, it just it wasn't going to work from the from the beginning. Um, so it's just one thing I noticed. It's just kind of a a you know a macro look at some of the issues you've had, or a micro look at some of the issues that you've had on offense the past, you know three weeks, four weeks, you know, playing teams with the pulse. It's not a big deal, but it's just, it's something. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk, uh, you want to talk red zone stats for a bit. I meant to look this up right before we started recording. I, I told someone I was sitting next to last night. I don't know what their red zone like numbers are in these last three games. Cause I don't have it in front of me, but I think they would have to be bordering on historically bad. I don't know where this ranks up in terms of like incompetence or bad, but the last three games, they have made 15 trips into the red zone as I do this here in full time. They have scored six touchdowns. They have kicked four field goals, and they have turned it over on downs four times. That's not you know, good. You can just scrap everything I just said. That that's everything. I mean, I that, that is completely. God, that's bad. Yeah, don't even don't worry about micro. This that is what's the problem. I mean, they had three straight in this game, uh, and three straight field goals did not really even threaten to score a touchdown. On no, it didn't get close. It's not they, like you had a penalty where it got backed up and things just got shot. They just literally, when they got down and space got condensed, they didn't really even threaten. It felt rather toothless. I didn't think every time they got inside the 20, they couldn't go tempo, particularly when, it, like I said earlier, it became second and seven and longer. Did you ever think they were scoring? Because I did it. No, but they haven't been good at tempo in right. the regular field of play. So it's not like I can use that. We can use that as an excuse for why they're bad in the red zone. Fair enough. I, I actually have no good reason to tell you why they're bad in the red zone. You can call it play calling. And, you know, I know Charlie will probably get, you know, 
smashed for everything. But, you know, last year when it's good, it's Lane, not Levy. This year when it hasn't been good, it's Charlie, not Lane. You know, that's just how football works. Um, it, It's just – it's inexplicable. I mean, they're not even trying to look at the end zone. They're not even, you know, really doing anything unique. Uh, it, It's just really, really, really bad. Um, And that's why they lost the game last night. I mean, they, three field goals and then a touchdown at 16. It could have been 28 to 7. If you have any pulse in the red zone, and they just have not for four weeks now. And so one last part, because I think the game is what it is. I want to get to some of the macro stuff, but one last, we'll end on a positive because, you know, it's Thanksgiving and all. Jonathan Cruz, just an absolute warrior. What a transfer pickup by Ole Miss with that guy. You lose an All-American kicker to steroids, which I don't know how that really works or how that's possible. They just pick up another guy who just uh, knocks in 45 to 50 yarders on the regular. Look, I know we joked about him having clean pee and all that throughout the year. What a valuable asset for this team, kind of just even keeping it in some games and afloat. He was amazing, and that's kind of hard to do in college football. No, totally nails. I mean, really, really impressive. Um, And that's probably all I got to say about it, because at the end of the day, you don't want him out there. Um, yeah, exactly. and put them out there way more than they need to, especially these last two weeks, which, you know, I guess we can get to why these last two weeks have been so damn weird uh, here in just a second. Let's do it. No, I mean, you, so, you start, you start. Yeah. I mean, so these last two weeks, this last week, let's just ca- calculate. Let's go this last week. I think oh, this last days. week is much more. Important. So we talk on Sunday. On Monday, it uh, everything seems to kind of pop off a bit. There's some steam to Auburn picking up. Um, you know, you were more bullish on this on Sunday night than I was regarding having a bad feeling about go- him going to Auburn, um, and you were kind of dead on. I mean, it, it, it kind of pops off like 24 hours later. Um, you start hearing different things. Neil puts a couple things on the message board. I'm writing a, a column called the Lane Kiffin Tax, and I'm sitting there after work writing it, and then all of a sudden John Sokoloff just is like, I'll do it, and reports that Lane Kiffin – is going to be the head next head coach at Auburn on Friday. He wrote the tweet very weird, but he went ahead and ran with the port. That's a guy that's connected to John Cohen. He broke the John Cohen news as uh, in terms of him leaving Mississippi State and going to Auburn. And then all hell breaks loose. Lane Kiffin gets a hold of it. He spends most of his Monday night uh, attacking the guy, calling him a liar, sending him memes, uh, tweeting his dog, all these kind of different things. And really, as it seems throughout the week, it becomes almost cut and dry that he is, you know, it's pretty much a formality at this point. He is probably going to go to Auburn um, at the culmination of the Egg Bowl. They'll probably offer him the deal he'll accept on Friday. We're recording this on a Friday morning. They'll try to keep it quiet until after uh, the Iron Bowl, because apparently they're just obsessed with letting Cadillac have a moment. I don't really get that part of it, but be that as it may, it becomes basically a done deal. He meets with the team on Tuesday from I would call it sources inside the room that did not, was not taken. Well, I don't think they took what he said at face value. I don't think they believed he was staying. I think they believed he had one foot out the door. Fast I'm in the same exact boat as you on that, by the way, from what yeah, I've so, heard. And again, I'm just trying to set the scene here. I know I'm rambling a bit, but then you go, go to ahead. Wednesday. Go ahead. He same thing, kind of same thing. Honestly, most of Wednesday felt like it was a little bit at a standstill. It's like, okay, what else is there to do? We just, let's see if this gets popped into motion. Maybe old Miss plays a little offense. I think they did that a little bit with that Grove collected tweet. Um, maybe I'm just reading in between the lines. But then Sunday night and Wednesday night, I started getting texts about how he's just apparently told the team that he's staying unless something changes his mind, which is one hell of a qualifier. But people that were in the room that night, as in Wednesday night, 
whatever the qualifier was, I didn't think it sounded much different than what he said Tuesday, but it was received differently. I think that is undis- like you can't dispute that. They seemed pretty fired up about what happened. And then we get to last night where he answers after the game, point blank. Neil asked him, do you anticipate being the head coach at Ole Miss this year? Said, yes, I do. He cracked a joke about him feeling like he was being deposed in a court case. And then he got asked another follow-up about it. And he said, yes, I do. And then he got basically tired of taking the contract questions. So that is where we are. How do you put this week into perspective? Because it seems like he's trying to deflect blame and blame Sokoloff and everyone else for the distraction when it was 100% manufactured by him. You could not have said it better. This was a, a beginning on Monday, a complete and total clown show. Um, he has yes. talked for weeks, years about how this team is pro mindset and how when his job comes up, they don't talk about it and how, you know, he thinks it kind of helps his team having his name out there. And then the second his name is out there for real, he goes into like a Twitter sphere, you know, like a drunken tweeting fest. Uh, not actually drunk, but you know what I mean. I mean, and, everyone made the assumption he was. I mean, I, look, I get it. I think he's been sober for over a year, not literally drunk. But the the whole point is, is like that. You were like, oh man, he must have had a few because of how unhinged it was. But the the most important part of this whole entire debacle is that if he ends up leaving, why why do all this? What what was the point? What if he had? What if Sokolov had it correct? And then you do all of this. I mean, that's that's the most ridiculous, most disingenuous, pathetic thing I've ever seen from a sitting head coach, at least during the Twitter years. And honestly, since I used to work in – I mean, I, we've gone through this a few times when I was in football. I obviously paid a lot more attention. I've never seen anything like this. And then if you add that up with what he said after the game last night, if he does leave, I mean – I can't swear enough about like what I mean, disingenuous is the word that always comes up to me. It's it's how I've I've felt about him since he's gotten here and since I've been around him. Uh he is aloof. His social cues are way off, including how he has handled this entire situation, thinking that people are going to see him as like a martyr and see him as like leading this program and trying to get the players to play hard. And I understand why he thinks that, except for when both of us hear from how the team meeting went on Tuesday and all of the players like didn't even attempt to take him at face value. I mean, Wednesday clearly was received differently, but then still some people are like, no, this doesn't matter. And then after the press conference, he says it again. And now at this point, everyone's like, why are we still doing this? Either say you're actually staying and sign the contract or leave. Because throughout this entire ordeal, the only one that it looks bad is Lane and Ole Miss. Auburn is just sitting there like, okay, maybe we don't know how we feel about this, but if he comes... It hurts him on that side, too, the Twitter thing in particular. The the Twitter thing in particular hurts him there. You know, it hurts him everywhere else besides Ole Miss and Auburn. But he's going to make Ole Miss and their fans and the administrator look like a fool if he ends up leaving after this and there's nothing they can do about it. And that's, it's, it's honestly a a, a weird backwards power play because he can still stay. And I'm sure he'll have to sign an extension if he does stay. I mean, you can't not at this point, especially when it's on the table. Cause if you retract it, it's like, well, then what, what have we been doing the whole time? Um, It's just the Lane Kiffin experience. Like you said, it's Lane Kiffin tax, you know, the the last two weeks uh, you can say, 
whatever you want, but coaching has been suboptimal in your favorite word against two teams that you are better than. So if he stays, he has basically cost you a pretty special season by dealing with all of this. And if he leaves, he burnt any momentum that you had on the way out the door. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for him. His coaching decisions last night were embarrassing. The way he's handled this entire week has been unbecoming of someone in his position making almost $7.5 million a year. And people like were thinking it was cute. And people were thinking that, oh, like he just dominates Twitter. No, this guy is just, you know, literally dogging a reporter doing his job for an entire week when it's very well known that the odds of him having that story correct were pretty high. And he just does this as if, you know, we are so stupid and nobody but him is savvy and knows what's going on. And it's just all going to work itself out. And if he leaves, then no one will remember this. It, it just made no sense for the entire week. It was a joke. It's 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 it, there's so much to unpack here, and I know we haven't talked since like the Twitter piece of it. But you described the word as disingenuous, and I certainly think that's accurate. But if he leaves at this point, now the way he backed himself into the corner with the tweet, with the way he told the team, he's leaving himself. He's almost pretending like everyone else is kind of dumb. And I know football coach, he's not the first football coach to think he's the smartest guy in the room, but he's leaving like he, he's, he's pretending everyone else is going to like blindly understand him, like you said, and follow him as a martyr. And at the same time, he's leaving these most obvious, like logical fallacies or loopholes, whatever you want to call them, that he can wiggle out of if he does leave. But no one like no one is falling for it. No one is is is. No one is impaired by the smoke screen, right? I mean, even the Wednesday night message, I'm leaving something to the effect of like, I'm stay, I'm probably staying unless something significant changes my mind. Or on Tuesday, I have not accepted another job. That report is inaccurate. Or the Monday night, you know, calling Sokoloff a liar. He's leaving all these little technical loopholes, but no one buys it because no, everyone's not dumb. Like he, he's treating everyone like they're idiots. And like, I, I guess to kind of spin that forward into a question, I mean, you describe it as disingenuous. If he were to leave at this point after backing himself into this corner, look, I get coaches have to look out for themselves. I get that they are always looking for the next job, feed their family, that whole thing. But if you lie to your kids twice, basically, and then go through all of that, call the reporter a liar and still go, that's just kind of evil, isn't it? I mean, that's Tuberville leaving in the middle of a recruiting dinner type stuff. Oh, it's so, 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 so much worse. Yes. So much worse. That's Texas Tech Tuberville, by the way, not the Pine Box deal. But yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's what, Cincinnati to Texas Tech or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Um, this is much worse because of how public it is and how he thinks that using his Twitter persona was going to, like I said, create him as the martyr if he leaves and that it was Ole Miss's fault and Ole Miss's problem and, the, you know, the report wasn't right. I'm the one that's in control. It, it, it would be much, much worse for Ole Miss because now it's always going to be them that's the laughing stock that comes out of this. That's why I think the fans are the most frustrated with how this has gone out. It's Absolutely. not leaving. It's not staying. It's it's putting Ole Miss in a position to look really, really stupid. And now, you know, the extension has been on the week. I mean, been on the table for, you know, two weeks now, and he hasn't signed it. And he has basically burned this entire season. So now that you're probably going to give him an extension if he stays, which who knows at this point, 
now it's going to make you look even worse because of how this entire thing has gone out that like you had to like get on your knees and beg for him to stay after losing two games in a row pretty in pretty embarrassing fashion. Uh, and then, you know, kind of making a mockery of himself, your program, your administration by how he handled, you know, this entire week. It, it's Ole Miss is in such a lose-lose situation that it's like, it's like, do you even want him back? Can't you just, do you want to just start fresh? I mean, you're, it's not like your program is losing momentum from a fundraising standpoint, but now you're in a position like, do people even want to support this guy anymore? Because you know for a fact that next year if A&M opens up or if Texas opens up or if Oklahoma opens up, uh, I mean, he's going to look at those two. And, you know, NFL has to be gone at this point. You can't hire somebody to roll up, you know, to run a multi-billion dollar franchise uh, acting like a a 14-year-old child on Twitter every time, you know, he doesn't get a good draft pick or like one of his draft pick doesn't work out. It's just inexplainable. The entire thing has been so childish. And I think your your story about the Lane Kiffin tax was perfect, but this is just it's it's honestly even more than that. It, it's 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 evolved into more sense for sure. It's, it's evolved into more like it, it's it's evolved into just an exhausting and and you, you know we talk about burning bridges and all that. It's really if I could write like what the situation is now in a headline, it's his ability to make a situation completely toxic so fast. That's the biggest shocker to me in all of this that he's just poisoned. Like three weeks ago, they were seven and one or eight and one, and like they, they were talking about him for every job, and I get all that. But they Ole Miss was on a run. I mean, we were writing about how they were twenty and four in their last twenty four games, and you haven't had someone do that since Vaughn. And now look where you are, just two short weeks later, and he basically did that in a matter of five days. His ability to turn and burn emotional capital, like you said, and turn a situation toxic is really remarkable to watch unfold. I mean, this week has been exhausting just to cover it. I'm sure Chase is tired of me calling him, but it, it, it's it's just been too much of. It's a it's a soap opera, and it's 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 soap opera that's followed him everywhere he's gone, and he seems to have no interest in toning it down at all. I can guarantee you, actually, I know there are so many people beforehand who are now laughing because they knew this was coming. The success of last year in the beginning and the momentum built was undeniably impressive and Lane Kiffin gets a boatload of credit for that what has happened these last four weeks is what you get with him sometimes or maybe every time because you look at every single job he's been at uh the only one that's had any sustained success is FAU truly I mean Tennessee basically nothing USC had sanctions but he had maybe one important good win Alabama assistant coach FAU very solid Ole Miss solid and now I mean this is an eight and four year that had the makings of 10 and two if he knew how to score a touchdown in the second half and that's what's going to be the most frustrating thing for Ole Miss fans to see because no context is ever given to any situation anymore by any you know any person in college football media it's automatically going to be Auburn better job Ole Miss you know more money blah 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 but the reality is that the only reason Ole Miss is eight and four is because Lane Kiffin's vaunted, you know, unique, fantastic offense has not been able to score a touchdown in the second half of football games. Uh, they went into an Arkansas game completely unprepared and unready and basically unserious about playing football. And then last night they are kicking field goals instead of touchdowns. They're trying to throw tight end jump passes on fourth and one when you've got your best player in the backfield. Uh, I mean, it's just all of the above. 
has not been about Ole Miss and their resources and their NIL and their ability to win football games. It's all about him not being able to coach the team correctly. And I know it sounds like we have just made a massive 180 turn on what Kiffin has done for this program, what he can do and what he might might do. But that's not our that's not our fault. That's yeah. his fault. It, it is his fault for the way people are acting over the last two weeks, the way people have responded to what he's done over the last two weeks, over what's been reported. It's all been his fault because he makes it public. He goes against his entire pro mindset deal and decides to, uh, I mean, just berate a reporter publicly about a report that for all intents and purposes was probably correct. And that's still, make- yes, he just see that's what requires nuance. That kid didn't have the story. You can't just get a text. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he just like how he got the source or who his source was. I have an idea, but you can't just go off one thing. Like he probably jumped the shark, particularly in co- knowing how coaching hours work. No one has a job until they've accepted it. Right. Right. He jumped the shark, but that does not mean his information at the time was wrong. Anyway, continue. Right. I mean, the, that, that's perfectly fine. And that that's perfectly, you know, true. Um, it's the way it was handled, the way the football games have been handled, the way everything has been handled for the last two weeks leaves an incredibly sour and disappointing taste for what this season was. Because, I mean, when we first started the podcast earlier this year, or I mean, we started two years ago when we talked about this season, yeah. I said this team was going to be eight and four. And guess what? They they were eight and four. But that is so not the story at all. <laughs> because we knew the second half of the season was difficult. But Auburn and Mississippi State are not good. And you got embarrassed two games in a row. Nothing to do with the talent on this roster or what's been going on. It's been 90% because this team has been distracted and ill-prepared. And there's only one, really one person to blame. If you put give them all the credit for the good, you have to give them all the credit for the bad. And, you know, starting with the second half of Alabama throughout the end of the season, uh, it's been bad. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the the – the, the last two things that you said, particularly talking about pertaining to the last two games, for all the good Kiffin is, they've had issues that offensively at times, you know, in 2021 at times it didn't look great, and particularly in the second half of uh, this 2020. Way more injuries in 2021. I know there's yeah. been injuries here to a one specific position group, which was tight end. And, and they've been thin at receiver. I wonder who gets the blame for that. You know, that would be the entire staff because they have not been able to evaluate – or, you know, use the transfer portal correctly. But in 2021, the 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 injuries were to your quarterback, to your offensive line, and to receivers, and they were still pretty damn effective for the majority of the season. And for all of his flaws and whatever, like, you know, the, the wherever we want to nitpick in games this year, Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin has never looked unprepared or ill-equipped to attack what is in front of them opponent-wise until these last two games. Correct coincidentally wink wink comes as this Auburn speculation is heating up. So the idea that he's entertaining it as a possible distraction or, you know, not firmly saying it or no showing no contrition about it is a really bad look because if you look at the results on the field, as all of this is heated up, they've looked unprepared for the first two times ever in the Kiffin era. And it comes as he has one foot out the door flirting with another job. That's a bad look, and the product on – like, if they had won one or two of these games, one of two, or they lost a close one at Arkansas and they won the Egg Bowl, he could dispute the distraction thing and say – and kind of say, ah, oh, it's overblown and all that. You can't dispute that now that the results on the field are what they are. It is plainly obvious. But also, if you don't have, you know, just a Twitter night of your life, 
this Just week. Ignore it. If you ignore it um, throughout both weeks and you lose both games, then people have to make assumptions. Yes. And, you know, people have to guess at what happened and people have to infer from, you know, the subject in front of us what was going on. And Lane Kiffin gets to then say, no, no issues, pro mindset, yada, yada, yada. And you are willing to take him at face value because you know nothing. But he made it public. And when he makes it public and then you watch the games, it's like, okay, well, we know exactly what's going on. And we then can come on here and on Twitter and on anywhere and be like, this is a joke because we know that you've been distracted because you were on Twitter uh, till you know, one o'clock in the morning on a Monday, Monday night of a short week game against your biggest rival or a biggest rival. Uh, we can guess why you maybe were a little unprepared or didn't exactly have a whole lot of adjustments ready because you've been, you know, slandering a guy trying to do his job. You know, whether he did his job correctly or not is not really up to me. It's up to people who know better. But there is uh, no malicious intent in what he's doing, and he treated no. the guy. It's not like he is not, you know, reporting that there's a storming of the Capitol and everyone needs to go look at it. He's reporting that one guy might be going to another job or actually that he is going to another job. And like I've said, from all intents and purposes, he had it. Maybe not fully, but he's not stupid. From all accounts, he's pretty good at his job, from what I've heard at least. And he didn't make it up out of thin air. He did not make it up. He doesn't understand the nuances of a coaching search. It's another conversation. He did not make the tweet up out of thin air, as Lane said. He he worded it poorly. I'll get I'll I'll admit that. Um, but that doesn't mean it wasn't true. And if you follow, you know, the characteristics that you've given to your football program where you don't talk about it and you always say you don't talk about it, and then you do talk about it, we get to come and make fun of you for it. Yes. There's nothing pro mindset about what he did. And to your point, if all of this Auburn thing had played out, right, it's now been reported that he interviewed for the Auburn job via Zoom the week of Arkansas. You know, some people think that's a foul move. I, I don't think it's great. You, I asked you earlier in the week when you texted, you're like, you know, assistants, that's kind of business as usual. Head coach, I don't know. That kind of falls in the gray area. Whatever. But if he doesn't do the Monday night Twitter thing, which on its surface – the idea of a 47-year-old man spending his Monday night tweeting memes at a TV reporter and then tweeting his dog. Like, I don't know what other setting other than Twitter that that would qualify as anything other than utterly bizarre behavior, but be that as it may. If he doesn't do that, all of this plays out like the normal coaching st- searches do, where it's people just angry at message boards and all behind the scenes and left up to assumptions and guesses as to what might actually happen, as you said. He brought it out publicly himself, which is... I mean, that took this to a whole nother level. Do you think the anger and the vitriol and kind of the 180 in terms of an emotional capital happens? It will happen to some degree. Do you think it happens to the degree, degree that it does if he never picks up his phone and tweets on Monday night? No, you can justify him leaving. You can. It, it, I, I've said it from you know the jump when the conversations have started. I, I would get it. I do get it. I now don't understand it at all. I, I don't understand why he has gone about it this way. It is inexplainable. This this whole idea, it, he has now lost so much capital here. That's why I'll, I go back. I'm, I'm kind of like thinking in my head while I'm talking. Go back and say how bad this is for Ole Miss. Because they it's such a lose, lose, lose situation. If he comes back now, like what momentum is there? 
what what how do we know it's going to be any better what what's going to change except for him making probably two million more dollars a year nothing absolutely nothing along with the fact that a lot of big people and a lot of you know regular fans i'm taking big people as in like you know money people and regular fans as in everybody have lost so much confidence in him that it's going to start off a real rocky road if they don't do well next year especially early and now if he leaves it's just like he just threw you under the bus, made you an embarrassment. He made Ole Miss part of the story when it didn't have to be. Yes. It could have all been about him. It could have all been about him and his decision. You know, maybe people would be like, yeah, well, Auburn's a better job. And then we can all live with that, continue with the NIL money. We've clearly are willing to pay people and you move on. But now you don't even know, like, if you want him back. But if he leaves, you still look bad. And it's that's not the old part, That's fault. the part in all that's of this that's so insane. Yes. Talk about the poisoning the well so quickly. You think about it this way. If he does stay, that could have been a huge positive storyline for both Kiffin and Ole Miss. He's sticking with Ole Miss. Ole Miss fought off a SEC West program. Even, even if you lose a better man. job than him. And they raised him to a big boy salary. And it's them coming into the fold as a big time, big boy job with big boy resources. But now instead, if he does stay – well, he just bit you over the barrel for a nine million dollar salary in a year where he went eight and four and didn't finish in the top twenty-five. That's now yes. the story, which is insane. Yes, but even even if he had not done the whole Twitter thing, which was the worst thing he's done here, and he stays, even if he loses both games, you can spin that. Yes, you can be like, yeah, like you know, they were a little unprepared. We don't really know what happened. It was tough, you know, injuries, blah 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 blah. We are all in. Things are going right. Let's go. But now, after this whole Twitter debacle, that's you can't make it like that. Now, it's from a fan perspective, it's like there's a chance that there's a lot of people that think we're now like stuck with him, which is not what you would have ever said at any point in time if he had not done the Twitter thing. You would have been like, we're happy about it. You know, he decided to stay. You know, some people can say, oh, Auburn probably pulled their offer. Well, we don't know that. Nobody would ever be able to really know that unless you dig into it way more than we're going to. And it's just so – like it's a lose, lose, lose situation for Ole Miss at this point. Kind of wrapping – For a PR standard at least. Oh, 100%. And it didn't have to be that way at all. No, Uh, it it did not. And and he – again, he kind of poisoned that storyline and that well for Ole Miss from a PR perspective – as we kind of wrap up this Kiffin discussion portion of it, because like you said, you were like thinking out loud while you're talking. I'm like, did we just talk about the same thing five times in a row? There's so much to digest at one time. It kind of blows my mind. I'll ask you this. Because as we sit here at 1020 on a Monday or Monday morning, Jesus, uh, Friday morning recording this, um, someone posted an update. I hate doing this behind the paywall update thing, but it's from Auburn, not Ole Miss. Uh, so whatever, Auburn rival site. I don't pay there. Sue me. Um, Apparently, J.G. Tate of Auburn Rivals is says that he ex- still expects Lane Kiffin to be the next head coach at Auburn. With that said, it's possibly that Kiffin changes course. So point being, the Auburn site still think it is maybe Lane Kiffin. But he goes into the press conference last night. I guess I'll start there. Were you surprised after all this and all the kind of the nonsense that when he had asked point blank, do you plan on being the head coach next year at Ole Miss? He just unequivocally said yes. Was that a surprising move to you? Because I actually thought that was a little surprising. I figure he would have kept with the strategy of, you know, platitude, give yourself the out. But he unequivocally said yes, which is a complete change in course. I think it does reflect that he there is no strategy here. It's all just emotion and based off the moment. But anyway, back to my question. Did that move surprise you? No. Why would it? 
why 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 do we think he's incapable of of lying again that's like pathological though it's, that's, that's not that's, I'm going to be the next figures. coach at Alabama because he said it to his kids twice the the coach I say the kids the players twice like that's another level of lying that would be basically four times in one week publicly because yeah I mean the team meeting's private but no it wasn't yes. uh publicly saying you're not leaving you're giving yourself these small bullshit caveats that no one believes or cares about uh and then finally you give an answer without a caveat but I, no one believes you because of the, the past actions. So it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all that he would come out and say yes at this point. It, he's so It's so disingenuous the way he's handled the entire thing, coming back to that only word I can think of when it comes to him at this point, that, no, I'm not surprised that he went up there and said it without any restraint. Nothing changed. Jimmy Sexton was at the game, probably there to hand him a contract from Auburn to look at it. So well, maybe that's he doesn't the, say anything ridiculously stupid too. That's yeah. Funny. Well, he didn't do his job, so uh, not that he cares, but it, it's just the entire thing has been a complete clown show. And I, I no, I'm, I cannot even explain. Like when he when he said it last night, and I saw that you know pop up on the board and on Twitter, I was like, yeah, of course he's going to say that because he doesn't care. And when he leaves, it'll all be over. And you know, Auburn people they're they're weird. They'll forget about it and they'll just try to go on and win. And Ole Miss, maybe at this point, will have just a weight lifted off their shoulders of dealing with this guy. So, I mean, no, I'm not surprised. I'll spin it further one more. Do you think he's the head coach at Ole Miss next year? Gut feeling. My gut feeling is that no, he's not, which is why I have. You going to Auburn. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it. I, I, Wednesday night and really Tuesday and Wednesday, I, I felt a little bit differently. Um, and I think everyone else did, and people reporting differently. Um, I know I, I think he is going to go to Auburn. Um, I think it is going to be a shit show. And I think at the end of the day, at this point in time, maybe I'm speaking for myself and not everyone else. I think people will be okay with it. It'll sting because he's going to be in the West. It'll sting because of the the context of what it makes it look like that you've built all this up. And Ole Miss is at the best point it's been in a long time. And then your coach leaves for a rival of a team that sucked for five years. But at, I just don't think he cares. I, I think he thinks he's above it all and that he is the one that makes things run. Where if you look at his actual coaching record, and nobody would have this conversation if it weren't for all the bullshit this week. His actual coaching record as a head coach is nothing that is that impressive. Truly. It really isn't. The 10-win season last year was incredible and impressive and that was it everything else is what this is leaves a program in a blaze of glory and a flame out and then goes somewhere else um this is i'm even shocked that i'm saying this because i've been a pretty big fan of his and the way he's run everything the last two weeks has lost literally all capital with me and so let's go on the other side of it if he does stay at Ole Miss because we spent rightfully so all of this time kind of pointing out the flaws how big of a clown show this is Putting this into perspective, if he does stay, Ole Miss is still in great shape in terms of where they are as a program. He's still a good football coach. You know, I I, I was kind of hard on the guy last night. I had a couple of course lights, and I just found the whole thing to be a complete circus. But I, you know, I got DMs from people who's like, well, you're flipping on him 180. It's like, not really. I can point out and call a spade a spade about how terrible this is and still not think the way he runs a program and where he's done the last three years has been good. Like two things can be true at once. So if yeah. he does stay, let's put this into context. 
Ole Miss is going to have a very good football team next year, presumably. He is still a good offensive head coach. He's recruiting at a good level. They are still fine as a program, but there is going to have to be some sort of – and he's still a good head coach that you should want to run your program. You know, caveats aside, just the football aspect of it, the the way he's brought Ole Miss to relevance – the 10 and two followed by an eight and four as disappointing as it was. It's not a level of consistent success. Ole Miss has had a ton. He has still done a good job and this has still been a raging success, but there has to be some sort of contrition or some sort of material change in the way he treats Ole Miss and the way he operates. If he does stay next year, right? Because the thing is, is this really can't happen again. And it's going to happen again. The next time a job comes open, if he stays, that's why I say there's gotta be a point where if, if he leaves for all there will be some relief. On Ole Miss's oh, side. I think there'll be a collective exhale from the administration for sure. Yes. And the yes. fans. The fact that, okay, we can go get a coach that is not going to look every single year for another job because that's what he's done since he's been here. Uh, now, while doing that, he has been successful and he gets credit for that as it's due. But if he ends up staying, th- it's like we talked about with Jimbo, like yeah. if Jimbo doesn't get fired, which he won't that he's going to have to, you know, gut the entire, you know, roster and everything. Well, he doesn't have to because you're going to pay him a lot of money no matter what. He doesn't have to do anything. So you can say that if Lane returns that, you know, you have to fundamentally change things without your program. You have to fundamentally change the way that you look at this job and the way, you know, treat fans and a little bit of buy-in. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do any of that. Um, What he needs to do is completely change the way that they, they recruit. Um, he has to recruit. Uh, he has to make some phone calls. He has to do his part. Um, Isn't it the oxymoron of him wanting to go to Auburn is the fact that he thinks he can do more with better players, but he's going to have to recruit himself at some point, no matter where he goes. Exactly. Exactly. He has to recruit people. He can't just give it off to all of the millions of assistants, you know, not even the assistant coaches, just everybody that he's brought on staff that are recruiting guys that have clearly done a pretty good job but he has to do more. Uh, will he? I mean, I don't think so. But, I mean, it's not impossible to say that he, like, finally sees what's going on. But they have to – the portal has to be different because, you know, that he got a lot of credit for the portal guys this year. And I think some, for some, deservedly so, but for a lot have been complete flameouts that made this team pretty thin. Um, high school recruiting has to get significantly better. If you're going to have all this NIL money, you have to start competing for for really good players. Um, you may not get the five stars of the five stars, but you better start getting some guys, whether it's in your state or around you, that you should be competing to get. Uh, in the past, they have not done a great job at that. They've done a good job. They have not done a great job considering where, you know, the money and the support has been with this program. Um, it, a lot has to be done. You know, I think this team has a chance to be really good next year. Uh, but there's also a chance it's just as thin as it was this year at certain positions. I mean, they have to get rehauled the entire wide receiving core. I mean, they're losing damn near everybody. Uh, and then they didn't play any, you know, really young guys. So I don't think they have a whole lot of trust in them. So you may be portaling an entire receiving group. You may be portaling uh, an entire linebacking group. You know, you've gotten pretty good at DB and pretty deep there, but you're losing DeAndre Prince and Miles Battle who I know battle played a, you know, had a pretty tough, you know, play there, but uh, they've both been pretty solid uh, throughout the entire year. They've they've been a strength, if anything. Uh, They have a chance to be great, but they also have a chance to like be really, really thin if they do not recruit well. And that's been the whole, that's been the underlying issue of the success of this football team is that the recruiting, 
you know, all the credit for the portal, but the actual high school recruiting, the way you build a roster if you plan to be there and trying to win at a sustained level has been subpar. That it has feels to like he's duct taped it via the portal and he's trying to blame it on that, but it's it's really not. It's his inability to recruit high school kids. The depth has been exposed back to back years because of a lack of a solid high school recruiting. And credit the way that the class there currently has high school wise is a lot better than it was last year. Now that's November. Let's see if they finish this. It's a long way from over. But to your point, I think I've asked you this last year when we did one, maybe like after signing day, is you know, he's an exceptionally brilliant offensive mind. I don't think there's any exception to that. He's also a very different cat. And I think this was centered on the Jaheim Otis conversation last year. I asked you, do you think he's better in the portal because it's more straightforward? It's more like a professional free agency pitch. We're going to use you X for this year, kind of try to get you highlighted and then get you to the professional football, as opposed to going into a Mississippi kid's living room and telling him he's the greatest thing since Lawrence Taylor and eating the mom's cooking and all of that, and kind of the ass-kissing that comes with a high school recruiter. That does not seem to fit his personality. Do you think that is a hang-up in why he does not recruit well? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, He is undoubtedly better in the portal because it is a professional relationship. There is no nonsense that you have to do as a college football coach when you're making close to $10 million, which he would be making if he stays. You have to just do it. it it's part of it. You, we've seen programs and coaches fail because they just refuse to do it. Um, portal success has been undoubtable. I mean, he has gotten guys in that uh, maybe had better options or you know better situations, and he has done a really good job at it. But you have to hit on those guys because they're basically hired assassins at this point. I mean, Zach Evans won't be back. Uh, Michael Trigg, I mean, sure, it doesn't seem like he's going to be back. Uh, some of the defensive players are one-year guys. Troy Brown, they're not going to be back. So you have to do it over and over again. And if that's the way you want to do it, fine. I don't think that's for sustained success, but he doesn't ever want to have sustained success anywhere. So I get why that's his way to do it. You know, he could say it's it's playing to his advantages, but I think it's just playing to his mindset about where he's at. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think you're dead on with that. I never thought about it that way, but you're right. Maybe he doesn't care and doesn't want to do it. Like, I mean, that, I, I mean, that's kind of the I mean, when you look, we've got, we have enough of a, uh, a sample size to see how he's gone about, you know, the way he builds this roster. He's been doing it in the short term every single year he's been here. Um, that, I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley, that I mean that worked for them over there. Uh, but that was with Caleb Williams is the guy you got. Oh, and by the way, it's USC. It's not like their roster sucked to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, and by the way, they had a historical uh, turnover margin. They're like plus 19. It's unheard of. So we got a little luck over there too. Um, I don't know if he can do that here. I mean, I think he might be able to, and I think he's shown the ability to get really close but if you go this portal thing and you bring in 17 players and only, you know, seven or eight are like real contributors, you're fucked. Uh, it's like Juco recruiting back when Mississippi State and Ole Miss, that was their thing. That's awesome. And if you bring in 10 Juco guys and you play three of them, you're fucked. <laughs> it can't be in the absence of high school recruiting. You can do the portal thing to add on to what you've already done building a base. It cannot be one or the other. Yeah. And we'll ha- we'll have to see what the base is like next year because, you know, It'll be his third class, you know, and maybe after your third, or, yeah, it'll really be his third class. Yeah. Maybe that will set the base to, you know, sustained success. That's very possible. Um, I'll be waiting to see what it looks like. I'll be waiting to see who leaves because not a lot of these young guys have played on defense. They have on offense, his side of the ball. They have not. 
And I'm not saying they should be, by the way. I think one of his like, better qualities is he plays guys that, you know, he believes are going to help them win football games, bar none. That's why you've got to walk on wide receiver out there scoring touchdowns in the last minute of Egg Bowl because he believes he is going to give them a better chance than their scholarship four stars. Credit to him for that. 100%. On, uh, 100%. An example of that. Exactly. But that's also, you know, it makes you look back at the portal class. It's like, well, that's a miss. You know, a six offensive lineman would have been really helpful for this football team. And you brought one in and you didn't have confidence to play him. Not because for no other reason than you didn't think he could help you win. And that's what you could say for a lot of portal guys. Jalen Robinson has clearly been healthy for four or five weeks. He doesn't believe that he's going to help you win. Um, I mean, who else? I mean, defensively, there's a few guys. Watkins has been okay. Watkins has been good, but he's also not really changed much. Like, he's not been a game changer. He has not, you know, elevated that wide receiver room more. And Heath has been good. It's Heath and Evans are his two offensive calling cards via the portal. Correct. And you couldn't play Evans last night because it's rainy, and you probably thought he was going to fumble, and he he completely did not block a blitzer, and then he's out of the game. So – He's been hit or miss as well. Uh, it, it's just it's it just it culminates quickly, and the sample sizes may not be large, but that's what we have to go on. And you know, it all goes back to none of this would be that big of a deal if you hadn't made such a mockery out of the program you're at this week. Um, and it, it's just it's frustrating that we have to talk like this about what has been a pretty successful run because of him and only him. Yep, there, there's a world where eight and four, where you're sitting there going, okay, transition year, they had to retool the roster, like they're going to be a good football team next year. Honestly, pretty bang up job to go eight and four. But he completely flipped that narrative on its head in a span of about a week. Uh, before we get out of here, last thing I want to ask you, we'll just go, uh, next time we talk to you, we'll do the Soccer Corner World Cup. We do play the Brits tomorrow, but a uh, little bit of a time crunch and uh, more important matters at hand here. Last thing I'll ask you, as we kind of wrap up this conversation. If he does leave and Ole Miss is searching for a new head coach throughout the weekend, as we record this at 1035 on a Friday morning, the funniest part about this time of year is I could post this and it could be obsolete in an hour. But, hey, content is Yeah. If he does leave, as someone who grew up following LSU, then you get into the business and you work in recruiting and you see both sides of kind of what Ole Miss is and what other programs are. With what they have from an NIL standpoint, the resources they have at their disposal, what they are seemingly willing to pay a head coach, has your perception of what the old Miss job is changed over the course of this, if they are looking for a new head coach? Oh, my, absolutely. I, I think it has changed. And I'm not even going to say it's because of the, the NIL money. Like that, That's an obviously a massive, massive, massively important yeah. part to recruiting and your program these days, undeniably. But at the end of the day, jobs are determined on by you know the success on the field and what you see and what you see is that when Ole Miss is organized has a quarterback and a coaching staff that is good they win a lot of football games they have unable been unable to get over the hump even Houston not won a lot of football games Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin the sustained sustained success is nowhere to be found but real success is there I've always thought it was a good job I think it is a Top 20 job. You're in the SEC West. You're being almost willing to pay a coach $9.5 million. We'll see how that works out. Uh, you have NIL money. You can recruit there. Uh, I think there's real changes that need to be made uh, infrastructurally, not just like the Ole Miss athletics you know, deal. They've been really good. I have was always impressed when I was there. They, they do a really good job. Oxford, Mississippi-wise, 
I think that you need to figure out an easier way to get kids to your school for sure. How you do that, I don't know. Do you finally extend the runway and maybe get some flights in? That would be nice. Um, there's definitely infrastructural changes that need to be made to make it better. Um, I think it's a much better job than it was 10 years ago. And it shows that when you have a coach with that can show proof of concept success here. I think your issue is that you are also always one step away from being the worst job in your division. Right. And it happens quickly. Uh, in this NIL era, I, I will say it here. You will see it. Arkansas is going to be a problem. Auburn most likely will be a problem. LSU will always be a problem. A&M and Bama, you know what they're at. Mississippi State, they seem behind. But guess what? They're still clearly capable of beating you if you don't have any focus. Uh, it, it's it's a good job that can become a really, really bad job and a difficult job really, really quickly. And that's what you've kind of seen the past of waves and peaks and valleys. And I've been here for the really good and the really bad. And when I was younger. I saw some really good and I saw some really bad. Uh, from a from a distance, of course. Um, I, I think they have elevated to where they can go and ask coaches that may not have listened before. They might listen now. Um, I, I think that this is also kind of a you know a catch twenty two because I don't really know how many candidates out there that are going to make people feel good if he does leave. I think that's kind of what you're getting at is you know how, how far could you go, how high could you go. I don't know because I don't know who's leaving their current job for Ole Miss and who's avail- who would potentially be available that is going to put you in a bus- better position than you've been in. Um, it, it's a very fascinating discussion. I mean, and that's a long-winded answer to say, yeah, I think it's a pretty damn good job. But let's if you get it, it wrong, it becomes shitty real quick. Let's hit it surface level. The last thing I have for you is a game that I did not prep you for at all. So congrats to being the first ever contestant on this game. I'm going to list a candidate and you just give me approval rating one through 10 in terms of what the hire, like how good of a hire you think that would be for Ole Miss. Let's go Luke Fickle. 10. Jamie Chadwell. Three. Interesting. Garrett Wright. He's not incapable of being, he's a, he's a scheme guy. He's a scheme scheme guy. Yes, they run a variated version of triple option at Coastal Carolina. Uh, He's done an incredible job there. He has never been an assistant or a head coach in the SEC. Ole Miss is great being a scheme job, but you're not going to out-scheme guys with better players, and it's very rare that Ole Miss has better players than most of the people in their division. So I'm out on Chadwell. Garrett Riley. Uh, I'll go five and a half. I like the upside. I don't like the current resume. Hmm. Where do we want to go next? I got a couple more of these. Mike Norvell. (sighs) I'll go, I'll go six and a half. Jeff Levy. I will go four. Okay. Is that just a not ready yet thing? It's just not ready yet thing. And at this point, I mean, it's unfair to him necessarily, but it's also on him a little bit, though. The way Oklahoma's season has, has turned out has not done him any benefit in the public eye. I don't think he – I think he'd be a good head coach. I do because I, I know him and I've been around him. I don't know if he's ready yet. Matt Rule. I mean, I, I would say a seven. I. It's boring. It's tough to get over the Panthers and what happened there. 
but his biggest strength is understanding where he's at and what he needs to do there. When he went to Baylor, he hired basically all Texas high school assistants and they recruited their ass off. And he built that diamonds in the rough. I talked to the Baylor guy about this last year where they just found freak athletes and were like, want that kid. Yeah. They just went track. You know, they went with what our Bryles did. They're like, okay, is this guy have any speed? Oh, he runs a 10, 100 meter. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Whether he wants to play DB or running back or receiver, we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, He's a good program builder. He's meant to be in college. If he comes to Ole Miss, he won't, you know, be stubborn. He will figure out the job. He will hire the correct assistants. Uh, I think people like working for him. I think college was his fit. The Panthers was a disaster. So I think PR-wise, it would be weird, but I I do think he would do a good job. He would be a little boring, um, and I've always said you can't be boring, but I think his boring – is a different kind. He has been successful at multiple college stops and multiple different parts of the country. No reason he couldn't do it well at Ole Miss. Last one, just for fun, Mike Gundy. Uh, I I don't want him. No, uh, a three. I I one. I don't think he would leave. I think that's just a weird place. He is undoubtedly a good football coach, who has raised the expectations of Oklahoma State dramatically. I don't always think it's a grass is greener and like a different, you know, there is a lot of, you know, good reasoning for why coaches need a reset, but maybe not after like 20 years of being there. I I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm interested in Mike Gundy. Um, I don't know why I've it's come up. It's the one that makes sense. It's the one that's always talked about like, Oh, but he leave Oklahoma state for Tennessee or Florida or yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't think the fit's great. Oklahoma State, they, they don't recruit hard or well. Uh, they have a weird base they go from. Um, they are a, it's a build, 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 and continue building. Whereas Old Miss is kind of in a at, at a point in time where you don't have to build as much. You need to come in and be ready to go. Yeah, and I don't know if Gundy has adapted to the new college football and to the SEC and what you would need to do to just hit the ground running. What he's done there has been remarkable. I don't know if it translates here. Perfect. That's all all I had. Thanks for playing the first ever game that I don't even know what that game was. Leaving out the only one that I want. (laughs) What? Deion Sanders leaving out the only one. Oh, I left that one. That's an obvious one I should have gone for. I know you give it a 10, right? 10. 10. You stumped for him. It made the message board. I think you got some people on board with that, particularly with the recruiting piece. So you think that's. Some people didn't. Some people came back at me with with fair. Uh, 10 though i want to see it he is primetime weldon rodenberg i appreciate the time as always my man another fun season we will do another pod as the thing kind of plays itself out but go enjoy the rest of your uh thanksgiving weekend and we'll talk to you soon see you man all right that is our show if you made it to the end i appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day hope you continue to have a wonderful thanksgiving weekend uh stay safe out there and uh we will talk to you again on Sunday, I think, but we'll just kind of go as the news goes. Y'all have a great weekend.